This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Thank you, everybody, for tuning into another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. With me, as always, fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. You know, Elon, out of all the players who deserve the adulation and honor of being the name opening show, yes or some sequence of those words. I don't know that he is one of those guys. I know you have a reason, and we're definitely going to get to it later in the show, but I still feel like it was a a strange precedent to set by using his name. I think that's one of the first player name yes mashups in Keeping Carlson history. Well, I mean, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson if you have a better idea of a name that includes the word yes in the name. Brian, I don't see any better ideas coming from you, and I will be bringing this guy up later in the show. But before we get to that, Brian, big show this week. As always, I guess it's the last week before our holiday show. Well, not as if we're going to be doing like a holiday-themed <laughs> Keeping Carlson episode, but we've got a break coming up. We've got games from today until Friday, then three days off. What are people going to do? No fantasy hockey for three days. But anyways, before we get to that, we have to talk all about last week. And before we get to that, let's mention that we are presented by the best fantasy hockey website out there, DauberHockey.com. It's fantastic. You've got your daily ramblings. You've got line combinations, starting goalies, just articles, but all these interesting articles like comparing players. The player profiles are so useful. You can just see so much about a player on one page, who they're playing with, the percentage of time on the power play, their on-ice shooting percentage, like everything you need. It's just a great site overall. you got to check it out, DauberHockey.com. It is, and one of their own spinoff sites, DauberProspects.com. You know, we got to tweet Elon, this week that said it's about damn time that we gave them some props. We give you guys props all the time. <laughs> we love you guys. You, I, I think, Brian, I think we're, calm down, calm down. No, Brian. I, I just, I like to think we share the love. We always credit our sources. Anyway, Dobber prospects certainly deserving of a shout out every single week on the show. We try to give it to them when we can. You know, Brian, I think it was a very, like, nice tweet. And then they included, <laughs> a, like, a meme picture of the About Damn Time guy. I don't, I think it was a joke. I don't think they were throwing shade at, at us for not talking about them enough. You're yeah, the one who had... asked me if they were throwing shade. It was a joke. You got the like... idea in my head. I thought it was harmless. Man. Dauber Pro- You're a tough... I'm, I'm, I'm coming on fire strong. I'm, I'm angry about a lot of things this week. 
Let's find out All what right, else I'm get... angry about. Yeah, I have a feeling I know what the first thing is. Let's go to the first fantasy hockey headline of the week. We have to start with injuries, and we have to start with our biannual, triannual Chris Letang injury. That, like, just out of nowhere, like, you're going along fine. You're playing. You're, you're doing okay in your week. You're planning for the following week. Whatever you do to manage your team. And then just out of nowhere, a tweet or Roto World. Yeah, Chris Letang's out. Probably a couple weeks, maybe longer. Who knows? What? with a lower body injury. I didn't even know he got hurt. So frustrating. It's the injury ninja, right? The Chris LaSalle's injury ninja must have had a field day with that. So, okay, Chris Letang, damn. He has 19 points in 25 games, 79 shots on goal, even 48 blocks. So he's having a great season, just as you would have expected. Like maybe even some people have been complaining at some points. I think, Brian, you brought up at one point that he was on a bit of a cold streak. And I was like, don't worry about it. It's Chris Letang yet. He's been great. So he's injured again. It always happens. Hopefully it won't happen to us in the fantasy hockey playoffs if we're lucky enough to make it. Uh, so should people be buying low at this point? We had people on our Facebook group chatting about sleazy moves they've made. That was a really fun thread. And someone was saying that he tried to convince the Latang owner that he's not even worth holding because he gets injured too much and he got a really good deal. Is that something that you think people should be trying to do right now? Go to the frustrated Latang owners and try to get him for cheap? Sure, you can do that. But it's not like you're taking on zero risk by getting Latang. This is the second time he's on the shelf this year, but I do think it's to your best interest to try and see how low you can buy Latang. I am a Latang owner in two leagues. I built my whole roster around him in two leagues and I'm struggling in those two leagues. So I'm frustrated. I'm not going to let go of him, but maybe you can find somebody who will. Yeah, I guess you're right. It is a risk, but it's it's a good risk to make because if he does play, like he's fantastic. Maybe one of the top three fantasy defensemen in the league after Carlson and Burns. Anyway, okay. Probably you're not going to get Latang, but with Latang out, we were wondering who would be on the top power play. We were seeing news that it might be Trevor Daly or, of course, the red-hot Justin Schultz. Maybe both of them. The Pens were actually running Daly and Latang on the top power play even before the injury. And Horkfist was dropped, and we'll talk about him in a second. Like, Horkfist was bumped to the third line, so that was frustrating. Anyways, the speculation didn't last long about if it was going to be Daly or Schultz getting that role, because now Daly is also week-to-week with an upper-body injury. So the Pens kind of suffering right now, at least on the back end. So for the third week in a row, Brian, I've got to bring up Justin Schultz. And this time I'm expecting a different response. Last couple of weeks I've asked about him. Is he worth adding? He's on a hot streak. You're like, yeah, you know, maybe for the short term, nothing too special. All of a sudden now, like you take a look, Schultz has 12 points in his last nine games played. So this is even before Latang got injured. Yesterday he was on the top power play with Crosby, Hornquist, Kessel, and Malkin. He's also played 23 minutes and 27 minutes in his last two games. The two games that Latang has been out. So he's had a huge bump in his ice time. I feel like... Justin Schultz is a must-add at this point if he's still available, right? He's not without a pedigree. Like, he did have 27 points in 48 games in his rookie season, which was a 46-point pace, 33 the following year, down ever since. Obviously, we all know what happened as Oilers fans. Anyway, Brian, what do you think about Justin Schultz at this point now that he's still on this hot streak and he doesn't seem to have this competition in Latang? He is a must-own right now. There's no doubt. I know the last couple of weeks I've said no need to get Justin Schultz. Nothing very exciting happening there just because there's no opening for him. But now there is. He is there on the first power play unit. You were saying all the great things he's doing. And he was scoring without Latang in the lineup. Now he's probably going to keep scoring with Latang in the lineup. You went back to his rookie season, Elon, to mention that there is some precedent there. And there are a couple things happening this season that he has in common with that rookie season. The most obvious one, of course, is the half point per game pace. But less obvious is he's averaging nearly two shots on goal per game for the first time since his first year in the league compared to one to one and a half shots on goal per game in the years between. Uh, his shooting percentages back up in his first couple seasons. He had a high shooting percentage for a defenseman, right around 10%. That's very high for a defenseman. Then it dipped down to half that the last couple of years. I'm not sure if his current 8% 
gets closer to his higher end or lower end career shooting percentages. But it's not unheard of for D-men to pull this sort of thing off where a defenseman who averages between, I don't know, like one and a half shots and two shots per game, they can keep up a shooting percentage above 8%. That exact thing has actually happened 45 times over the last six years. And some repeat performers in that group who have managed that feat include Tyson Barry, Sammy Vatanen, Tyler Myers, Francois Boschman, and Justin Schultz has done it if you sort of try and extend the parameters a little bit to include him. Uh, Even if he does dip in shooting percentage, though, he's still generating more shots and shot attempts than he ever has before. There's a lot to like about what's happening for him in Pittsburgh. Yeah, definitely. Like, I feel like if Schultz is a free agent in your league, he's going to be the top free agent that we talk about on this episode. You have to grab him right now. Pause the podcast. Go grab Justin Schultz at least until Latang is back. Like, if you need help in the short term, definitely. If not, like, if your team is good and you don't want to drop someone good, maybe tweet at us. Like, we could talk about it. But, like, Schultz was doing well even before Latang got injured, like I said, and you're giving lots of reasons why he might be worth adding at this point. Brian, by the way, speaking about the Penguins, what's up with their lines lately? Like, I was seeing that... Patrick Hornfist, like I mentioned, was bumped to line three and he was off the top power play for a bit. Brian Rust and Connor Sheary were playing with Crosby for a while and not Hornfist there. Like, I'm curious what's going on. Like, is Patrick Hornfist someone people should be worried about? He only has one assist in his last eight games played after an amazing start to the season. I want to know, should his owners be concerned or is he like another guy that you should be trying to buy low on just like Chris Letang? He's pointless in five straight now, but he's still shooting 11 shots in his last three games. I'm not worried enough yet to think he'll finish with less than 55 points. And so, yeah, he could be a buy low. Uh, He's been back on the top power play in recent games. I wouldn't get too caught up in what's been happening to him for just like less than two weeks. Yeah, but I mean, he's only back on the top power play because Latang is out. Like, maybe they're going to go back to the two D-men. Well, of course, Daly's out too now, but who knows what's going to happen. Maybe they'll stick with Latang and Schultz on that top power play when Latang's back. Who knows? I don't know. I'd be a little bit concerned, but I agree with you. Like, Horkfist is a good player. I just really want to see him have a full season in the top six and on the top power play to see, like, what his upside is. We still haven't seen that on Pittsburgh. By the way... Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel are having an amazing season. We obviously don't talk about these guys very much because they're like obvious guys. You should, I'm not even going to ask you a question about them, Brian, but like Crosby and Malkin, third and fourth in league scoring with 34 points in 26 games for Crosby, 32 for Malkin. Kessel's ninth with 31 points in 32 games. So yeah, a lot of good value over in Pittsburgh, but also a couple of guys that are frustrating like Chris Letang who gets injured too much. Okay, also another injury out of nowhere, David Pasternak underwent elbow surgery. Was that scheduled? No one notified me that this was going to be happening, but apparently David Pasternak had an elbow surgery on Friday. He's going to miss Boston's next two games. Probably won't be out too, too long. But I was planning to talk about Pasternak anyway, since Boston had switched him with Bacchus and moved him to line two with Krejci and Tim Schaller. So Boston had been messing with their lines. I think not because Pasternak deserved to be demoted, but they were trying to get that second line going. This, by the way, was great for David Bacchus moving to line one with Marshawn and Bergeron because he had two assists on Thursday playing with Marshawn and Bergeron. He has four assists in his last four games. And actually that's before today's game where Boston won one nothing in a shutout. So maybe you have to add a pointless game to David Backus there. But anyway, Brian, not really much to do about Pasternak. Like I said, he won't be injured for long, hopefully. People have been asking though, like how high is his ceiling? I think we already talked about that in a previous episode, actually. So what I'm going to ask you about is Patrice Bergeron. Any change in your opinion of him? We've talked about him before. He had been slumping and we thought, ah, he's Bergeron. He's going to be fine. Still not doing anything. He's now nine points in 29 games played before today. So I guess we got to change that to nine points in 30 games. Patron Patty, 
wrote that he might be injured in our patient only Facebook group. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. But like, do you still feel like Bergeron is a buy low? Or at this point, do we have to start thinking that maybe he's not going to bounce back? Like maybe he'll do a little bit better, but he's not the 60 point guy that we thought at least he would be. Well, first off, let me heap some praise onto David Pasternak while we're there. He's a guy who's been scoring all year long. He has at least a goal. In 16 of his 27 games played, three multi-goal games, on track to blow past his power play time on ice marks of previous two years as well, which is going to help him score along the way. He is scoring on 20% of his shots at five on five, but like so many of his goals have actually been really good. So many highlight reel goals. He's created and made most of several great opportunities for himself. Maybe he can be a 15% shooter. And Elon, it was sort of a sudden feeling of fluid. Uh, in the thin sack that lies between the bony tip of the elbow and the skin, <laughs> olecranon bursitis, okay. also known as liquid elbow, elbow bump, student's elbow, Popeye elbow, baker's elbow, or gamer's elbow. we have elbow. time for this? No. Okay. No, we're moving on to, uh, to, to Patrice Bergeron. Too much gaming for David Pasternak is, I think, what caused that problem. Hopefully mm-hmm. they'll fix that in the future. Patrice Bergeron, uh, the interesting thing about him in this difficult season is that He's been playing with David Pasternak for a large chunk of the season, and Pasternak is undeniably a better third guy to have for Bergeron on that line with Marchand than was Brett Connolly last year. So you'd expect better numbers from Bergeron, but Bergeron is getting in on an uncharacteristically low percentage of all the goals that are scored while he's on the ice. So he's being left out of the party here. Low shooting percentage for himself, low IPP, but steady individual expected goals for per 60 minutes, which makes me think that he still can be a bounce back candidate. That said, we're 30 games in and it's hard to want to take the risk on a guy who's in his situation. With that said, you look at guys like Sean Monaghan and Evgeny Kuznetsov that you'd be dying to have bought low on. Are there any remaining highly projected guys that are still slumping right now is the question that runs through my mind on whether or not I want to buy low on Bergeron. I think he's worth the risk. And you could probably frame it as doing another owner a favor at this point. So I still think he's worth buying low on because, again, Elon, I don't know if you or anyone in the chat can think of somebody who are waiting to, you know, show themselves as the obvious 60 plus point player that we hoped they'd be and hasn't done that yet. Maybe it's a stretch with Kuznetsov. Maybe it's premature. I'll talk about him a bit later in the show as well. But that's my feeling on Bergeron. So you're kind of saying that the reason why you should expect Bergeron to bounce back is he's the last player to do it? Like, I, no, I guess, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when we expect a player to score more than 60 points, as long as it might take them to snap out of whatever funk they start the season in. We've seen it with Kopitar, too. These guys almost always deliver. And that's right. the reason I, why I think Bergeron will deliver. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Right. It's like we thought that. Monahan was maybe not going to be able to do it this year and now he's bounced back and he's been amazing we're seeing the name Forsberg in the chat room so there's one name of some of the people are still waiting for to bounce back but yeah I hear you Brian uh in the chat here Dave is saying that someone in his league traded JT Miller for Patrice Bergeron so that's a pretty nice buy low where you don't even have to give up very much to get him I think that that Bergeron owner is going to regret it later even if Bergeron doesn't do well I'll bet you JT Miller won't even stay on his lineup but anyway also Patty is saying Bergie always plays injured and doesn't say anything Thing. But then Avi is saying, if Bergeron is playing injured, why isn't it affecting his shots on goal? So who knows? Very frustrating. I guess we'll give it another couple of weeks and report again on Bergeron in the new year. I'll keep on bringing him up every once in a while, Brian, until you say to stop. You know, until you say forget about him, I'll keep bringing him up. Unless obviously he bounces back, which would be great. 
Then I'll bring him up also. By the way, on Boston, Frank Vetrano is expected to be back soon. He's a prospect who we had in some of our early episodes. I know in our interview with Peter Harling, he mentioned that Vetrano might be a guy to watch on Boston. Peter Harling from Dobber Prospects, of course. Anyway, you know, Pasternak's injured and Vetrano might be back. So maybe there'll be a top six spot. Even when Pasternak is back, there might still be a top six spot for Frank Vetrano. Because like I said, the second line has been Krejci and Pasternak and like, some scrub, you know, Tim Schaller was there and I'm not even sure what the lines were today. I guess there's also Ryan Spooner who's been in the bottom six. There is some competition, but maybe a guy to watch. Brian, let's move on now to the Habs. The injuries keep coming there. We just talked about them as the top fantasy hockey headline last week that they were dealing with injuries, but they keep coming. I mentioned Andrew Shaw as a potential pickup last week as he got on the top power play. Since then, he's out with a concussion. Andre Markov left Saturday's game against the Capitals with a lower body injury and didn't return. The extent of his injury is not yet known. Sven Andrew was called up. And he's now out with a lower body injury or upper body injury. So things are crazy right now in Montreal. Somehow they beat Washington yesterday, two to one. So very impressive. I guess Carey Price has something to do with that. But let's take a look at the lines as they stand now. As of yesterday's game, it was Pacioretty, Radulov, and Dano. So that's a name, you know, playing with Pacioretty and Radulov, not too bad. Then Placanitz, Lekkonen, and Flynn. And of course, Gallagher playing with Byron and Mitchell. Obviously, you know, still not getting a good spot with, like I would have hoped. Gallagher did get some power play time with Patches and Radulov yesterday, which is like, who would have thought it would take an injury to Andrew Shaw for Gallagher to finally get some power play time? But I don't know. I'm not going to talk about Gallagher again. We talked about him last week. But on defense, Jeff Petri had actually already been getting a bit of top power play time even before Markov went down. So maybe now he gets a longer look there. He actually has three goals and one assist in his last four games. Six shots on goal just yesterday. So I think Petri's worth adding. Like, not at Justin Schultz level, but maybe a guy who you might want to look at, especially if your league counts blocks, because he's pretty good there. The Habs are definitely hurting. Since that 10-goal game, they have just five goals in their last three games. And you've got Placanic being maintained in a defensive role. So anyone who's hoping from offense from him, he's not on that top line right now. He's someone that Tarion is leaning on to shut down. And Elon, you mentioned Gallagher briefly. Um, maybe he doesn't fit the defensive archetype that Tarion wants on that second line. And now he's seen as more useful if he brings offensive potential to the third line. I don't know. I can't pretend to know how Michelle Tarion makes his coaching decisions. But you asked me about Jeff Petrie. So I will get to him now. Petrie has 40%. Of all those Montreal goals over the last three games, he has two of their last five goals scored, six goals on 60 shots on the season. That's high for him. But even if he scores half as much, he's still getting tons of minutes. He's getting two shots, two hits, two blocks every game, fills categories, and he has that potential for power play time as well. So I think he's valuable as a defenseman in bangers and mash leagues where these things are counted. Maybe a depth guy in a league like the Cupful that counts shots on goal and blocks. He's certainly worth considering as an ad in your fancy league if you have a hole in your defense right now as someone who can just give a little bit in a couple different categories. Yeah, for sure. And while he's on the top power play, you know, Montreal is suffering with injuries, but they still have good guys on the top power play, especially if they put Gallagher there. Then, you know, you got Hatcheretti and Radulov and Gallagher and Petrie and Weber. That's not a bad place to be. And yeah, I called him Petrie before. I apologize. It is Petrie. I knew that actually. Okay, let's go to Florida. We have got Jonathan Marcheseau, who came back from his injury for a game and is now out again with a lower body injury. So I don't want to talk about Marcheseau again. In his one game back, he was actually on line three with Nick Bjugstad. So he didn't even make it back to the top six. So he might be like not a snoozer. Like I think he could still produce. He actually got an assist in that game. But, you know, definitely not the point per game guy. We've already covered this. Brian, do you know who's been on line one in power play one for the last few games with Yager and Barkov, like before reading my notes and seeing? I knew a name, but I didn't know how consistent it had been happening. So I'm going to go with no. Okay, yeah. So believe it or not, a lot of people might not realize this. There's a guy named Seth Griffith 
who's been on the first line and the first power play with Yager and Barkov. And actually, Bukestad is on the power play with them. But yeah, very surprising. Griffith, who was seeing less than 10 minutes a game for most of the season, has seen a huge jump in his last four games in his minutes. And as expected, this has helped his production. He has three assists in his last four games. Brian, is this sustainable? Is he going to stay on the top line and top power play? Is this just because Marshall's injured and then they're going to shift things around? Like, I would have thought Jokinen would have gone there or something. I can tell you that right now, it looks like there's plenty of reason for him to stay up there. But first, let's answer the question that a lot of people might be asking, who is Seth Griffith? He's someone that Boston fans were not pleased about when the team waived him before this year started in Toronto, being that super savvy team everyone likes to think they are. They claimed him, but then they waived him again after seeing three games from him on the ice. Then he eventually got claimed by Florida. He's a small forward, listed just 5'9", fifth-round pick of Boston's in 2012, destroyed the AHL last season with 24 goals and 53 assists and 77 points in 57 games played. And so Boston was really cool with that. They kept him down in the AHL all year last year. Despite having called him up for 30 games the year before, he saw just four games of NHL action last season. I guess Claude Julien doesn't like him, but he is the undersized, high-scoring in the minors at least forward that's easy to like easy to get behind and he's doing okay in Florida right now no shots over the last two games but two assists so that's pretty good and like I said it's working out for Barkov and Yager too it's a small sample size that we've seen this line together but that trio is producing 25% more shot attempts for per 60 minutes than any other Barkov involved trio this season and they're also producing 40% more shots on goal per 60 minutes than any other Barkov trio this season. And the best expected goals for per 60 as well. So there are a lot of reasons to like this line. Barkov, by the way, doing so well. So many doubters early in the season, rightfully so. It was a struggle for him, struggle for the whole team. We weren't sure how far he'd regress. But right now he is on fire. In the last month, he has five goals and nine assists for 14 points. In his last 15 games, he hasn't gone back-to-back games without a point in that entire span. So impressive with his consistency. And he has three or more shots on goal in 11 of those 15 games, including a five, a six, and a seven-shot game. Then you've got Yager. He also appears to be on a half-point-per-game pace. If you look at his stuff over the whole season, I think it's 16 points in 32 games, which is not impressive. But he has 10 points in his last 15, which is a 55-point pace. Also shooting steadily. It looks like that top line is finally gelling, at least the Yager and Barkov part, and that Griffith is playing a fine supporting role. Yeah, like for sure people are pointing out in the chat room, definitely don't grab Seth Griffith thinking he's going to be a long-term option for you. Like Jonathan Huberdeau will be back from injury soon enough. And also there's Marshall So who could take that spot. But for the short term, I think he's a guy to look at being on this line. Like just because he's on that line in power play, he's probably going to get some points. Because like you say, Barkov is so good. Finally, you know, doing what people were hoping he would do this year. And Brian, you see Jokinen, total snoozer now, right? Like five points in 22 games on the year. On line three last game with Bjugstad and Kyle Rau. Sevier actually jumped up with Smith and Trocek on line two. So Everyone should drop UC Okunin, right? If they haven't already. Yeah, he's totally snoozing. A lone goal in his last 14 games, no assists. And he has similar minutes to previous years. I mean, his shooting percentage is down, okay. And his on-night shooting percentage is down, which, you know, I'd also say he's going to bounce back. It's no big deal. But he's just doing so poorly anyway. I'm not holding my breath for a bounce back. And he's not a guy like, say, Patrice Bergeron, who you need to hold on your roster because there's no chance you're getting him back if you let him go. I think if he keeps snoozing for the next while, Huberdeau returning to the lineup is the next milestone for his season. That's his next best chance 
at becoming fantasy relevant again. In the meantime, it's safe to cut ties until you see any sort of production coming from him. Well, I mean, I don't even know why that would be the case. I guess we'll see. I guess you're saying just because lines will get shuffled around. But if he can't get onto the second line with Huberdeau out now, like it seems like it would be harder for him to get there with Huberdeau back. One less space in the top six. Well, my thinking was that it would go back to being Huberdeau, Barkov and Yager on the top line and then Smith... Jokinen and Trocek could all play together again and maybe the whole lineup would start clicking with some I don't know consistency or going back to the way things were I'm not saying that's any guarantee I'm just saying that's the next thing I'm looking for at shaking up his season right yeah we'll let you know if something happens with UC Jokinen in the meantime drop him snoozer which by the way is a term that we coined I feel like now we talk about it as if it's a real hockey term probably no one even knows what we mean but you know they're sleepers which are people you might want to grab because no one thinks they're going to be good, but they actually will be. And then you have snoozers, people who you think might still be good, but you really should drop. But, you know, it's our thing. We have a few things. Also, Brian, you mentioned the c- cupful earlier in the episode. That's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fan Tracks League or Fantasy League, which we do with our patrons. I, I don't know. Someone asked me at one point, like, what's the cupful? I'm a noob. I don't know about fantasy hockey. I was like, no, you shouldn't know that. That's just a word we say and we pretend like we think everyone knows it. Okay, next injury. Let's go to Tampa Bay. Kucherov and Palat, both injured. We don't know for how long. So let's not get too deep into this. But I didn't realize. Right, Corey Conacher is back on Tampa Bay. Didn't they trade him for Ben Bishop? That works out pretty well. You trade him, you get Bishop, then you even get him back. Why not? So he was playing with Tyler Johnson and Eric Condra, another former Ottawa Senator, by the way, last game. And he's actually on a two-game point streak. So obviously very minor, but he had a goal versus Vancouver and assist versus Edmonton. Is there any value in Corey Conacher? He's been on a long, strange trip since leaving Tampa as a huge name rookie, undersized forward, another one who was able to make a huge impact in his first season. Thanks to playing with some very good line mates. Uh, He was traded to Ottawa. The Sens waived him. Buffalo picked him up. And then he went through the Islanders and Canucks organizations before leaving the NHL to play in the Swiss League. He's back in North America now with the Tampa organization. He has had a good start to the year in the minors. Four goals and 11 assists for 15 points in 18 games with Syracuse. And now he's playing on the same power play unit as Jonathan Druin, uh, Alex Kalornin, Vladislav Nemesnikov, the other names on that unit. And that's where his one goal came. So watch for him to maybe continue getting time with that unit. He had six shots over his first two games, none in his most recent game versus Edmonton. I don't know, maybe a good depth cycle guy if you like the matchup that he has in a given night. He's not someone to get instantly excited about, though. This is a guy who's not who he appeared to be during his rookie season, won't have such a favorable situation, likely again in his career. But it's nice to see him back in the NHL. I'm happy about it. And Elon, I'm going to use this as an opportunity. I mentioned Jonathan Druin's name. He is now a point-per-game player over his last eight games, four goals, four assists. He has three or more shots on goal in four straight games. And he recently skated for more than 21 minutes in a night for the second and third times this season. So with the infirmary getting filled up in Tampa, he is somebody who is benefiting with a bigger role and more ice time. Yeah, Druin has been great. Tyler Johnson has not been great. I guess he has a goal and an assist in his last three games for what it's worth. Avi in the chat is asking, is it time to officially label Tyler Johnson a snoozer? Like, I don't know. I still expect that he could get, like he plays 20 minutes a game. He gets lots of power play time. So it's like, a, to me, a Bergeron situation. Like maybe a Bergeron light. Like I think he has potential, but definitely I'm not excited. Like whenever we get a question about, should I start this guy or this guy like on a busy night? I pretty much always say, don't start Tyler Johnson. I'm going to need to see him put up some offense. But yeah, I'd be curious to know, Avi, who you'd be dropping him for. 
more because maybe he is a snoozer in some more shallower leagues. And okay, since we're on Tampa Bay, there was a really fun post on our Facebook group where Yannick asked for the top 10 keeper defenseman because I guess he was going into a draft or something. Anyway, Simon, another patron, was very frustrated that most people did not have Victor Hedman on their lists. Brian, would you have Victor Hedman there? Like, I feel like he's really good, but people are always concerned about him because maybe he doesn't get the power play time, but he's having another great season. Happy birthday, Victor Hedman. He turned (laughs) 26 years old today. And that, Elon, is why I think some people would want to have him in their top 10 keeper D list. Because I see guys like Bufflin, Yandel, Weber, Giordano, even Brett Burns, guys who are all at least four years older and likely to see some kind of decline, if not a significant decline, in the next couple of years. And then you've got Hedman, who just last night became Tampa's all-time points leader amongst defensemen at the tender age of 26, eclipsing Dan Boyle's previous mark with the team. Now I get why Hedman does not seem like a terribly guaranteed, let's say, defenseman to be ranked in the top 10 keeper defenseman. He doesn't get the power play points that all these other guys do. They can all count on at least 15 and as many as 25, even more power play points each year. Well, Hedman's never had more than 11, but in spite of that, if you look at all situations scoring, he ranks 14th amongst all defensemen in points scored over the last four seasons while playing thousands of minutes less than many of the guys ahead of him, including many minutes left on the power play. And so if you sort by rate stats, he's suddenly a top 10 producer in all situations. That includes even strength and power play. So it's pretty incredible that he's keeping up with all these guys ahead of him who see bigger and better power play roles, but he still manages to score at a rate where he can hang with the elite producers. So at even strength, his name obviously jumps even higher up the list. He's not a flashy guy. He loses out on those power play points and he's only top 50 points once, but he's steadily around that mark. And he has youth on his side, which would be the argument for including him in your top 10. I apologize to Simon because I think on my own top 10, Hedman's a bubble guy, mostly because he has limited upside for getting past those 50 points for as long as he's sharing power play time with Anton Strawman. And that's been the case since Strawman came to Tampa. And also because Hedman's shot rates aren't elite. They only get him within the top 25 defensemen over the last four seasons. So I think that there are enough other 50-point defensemen out there who offer more in shots on goal or blocks or power play points to earn their way ahead of Hedman right now. We have to respect all that he does at even strength and all that he does defensively. And we'll see if he can get into that top 10 within a year or two once the older guys currently in that top 10 begin to fade. Okay. Yeah, that's fair though. Something to watch. You're talking about how he just doesn't get the power play points. And like you said, I guess the most power points he's ever had in the season was 14, 2013, 14. He had three goals and 11 assists that year. This year, he has two power play goals and nine power play assists for 11 points. And it's only what, 32 games into the season. So he's probably going to be eclipsing his highest power play point total this year. And so if he could keep that up, maybe he will get to like the 20, you know, maybe 25 power play points that you said you need to expect from the really elite guys. That would be a big development for him. And that would be a sure way for him him to eclipse 50 for sure maybe even hit 55 and then the sky's the limit if he can keep being that first guy on the power play Elon I'm gonna need your help because I know while Strawman was out it was so weird because he was still splitting power play time for a while with who was it Nikita Zadorov yeah I think we did mention on one show that Zadorov was getting a surprising amount of power play points yeah so it's nice to see that he is at the moment the lone wolf on that power play I mean lord knows they need his help on both of those units right now with all the injuries they have. So maybe that has something to do with it. All right, so that does it for injuries on this episode. Thankfully, we could get to happier news. Before we do, though, let's mention the sponsor of this week's episode, SeatGeek. Guys, 
you know how frustrating buying tickets is for sporting events and concerts and all that because you go to Ticketmaster or wherever and you have to pay all these service charges, which, you know, you have to pay them everywhere, but you don't even know the final price until you get to check out. You're like, what, $30 more? Why? But at least with SeatGeek, it's nice because you see the price right up front. Also, you know, they're comparing prices from different sites. You could subscribe for tickets. It's just a really great place, a really convenient, nice place to go and buy tickets for games. But I saw on Facebook, my mom posted saying that she has two tickets to a Senators game that she's not going to be able to make. And then she was like, oh, does anyone want these tickets? And no one was responding. And I liked the post. And then she texted me and said, Elon, like, you like the post. Do you know anyone who might want the tickets? And so I like sent it to Brian. Then Brian asked me, oh, is that 135 for both tickets? Or is that 135 total? And it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, my mom should be selling her tickets on SeatGeek. Brian, you should just be looking on SeatGeek. You'll find a great price for every game. You don't have to go through me. I didn't want to go through you. You just offered me the tickets. In fact, I was hoping for a little bit of a podcast co-host discount, but that never came. However, if you're a listener of this show, you do get a discount at SeatGeek in the form of a $20 rebate off your first ticket purchase from the site. All you need to do is download the app, enter the promo code KEEPING, K-E-E-P-I-N-G, make your first purchase, and SeatGeek will mail you a crisp check for $20. US Wow. Look at that. Free money. It's great. So check it out. Seat Geek. Be a geek. Buy a seat. Oh, yeah. Wait, we had another good slogan last week. I forget what it was, but thanks. <laughs> Do you remember what it was, Brian? Uh, tickets on fleek. For tickets oh, on yeah. fleek, get, get the geek. <laughs> for tickets on fleek, check out Seat Geek. You know, they, until they give us something, I'm just going to keep trying to make something up. Okay, let's move on to Outcheries. I didn't mention it last week that Gabriel Landeskog returned to the Avalanche after missing 10 games with a lower body injury. He only has one assist in four games since returning, which is very frustrating. Also, he hasn't been seeing very much power play time. His max has been 17% of the team's power play time in those four games. On Friday, it was Iginla, Duchesne, McKinnon, Rantanen, and Barry on power play one, and Bork, Como, Grigorenko, Soderberg on power play two. So, like, Landeskog wasn't even on the main two power plays. So, actually, I haven't looked into today's game because Colorado, but they did lose four to one. Like, Colorado, by the way, ugh, what's going on there? Someone posted on our Facebook group that they are so frustrated with Tyson Barry, who had a minus four today, cost him the category... Man, what's going on? Okay, but let's focus on Landeskog here. He had 65 points last year. He currently only has 17 in 36 games played, which is only a 39-point pace. That's like almost half of the points from last year. These are snoozer numbers. Do we expect him to bounce back? Here's another guy, Brian, on the list of people that you know we expected at least 60 points from, and we're not seeing it. The reason we didn't see Landeskog come back is because he hasn't done anything since he has. And you wonder why? Well, look at those power play units that you just mentioned, the ones that Colorado was trotting out there. Aginla, Jerome Aginla, he has three goals, four assists, seven points, over 29 games this year. He's on power play one. That's crazy enough. But look at power play two. You could probably swap out any two of those guys on the second unit put in one Gabriel Landeskog, and they'll probably be more likely to score. So I think that's, for starters, a big issue with Landeskog is the deployment is totally off. He's actually had a bump up in his shorthanded responsibilities, but it's not commensurate with the fall in his power play role. This is a very odd way to treat your franchise player, your captain. He has no goals at even strength this year. His shot attempt numbers are in steady decline over the last three years after posting solid numbers through the first three years in the league. I think I blame coaching for most of the issues he's having, which could be relief, but could also just add to the frustration for his owners because there's nothing anyone can do about coaching and deployment. I want to bounce back from Landis and I think he's still a 60-point player, but I can't hold my breath for it given his current role. I'm seeing a waste of a top flight player who is entering his prime and it is very sad. 
Yeah, okay, and I'm actually, I brought up the line combinations from today's game over on Frozen Pool, and it looks like they're trying to make things right. They had Landeskog on line one with McKinnon and Rantanen, and he was also on the top power play with McKinnon and Iginla, still Iginla, Brian, and Matt Duchesne, so that's good. But of course, Colorado still only scored one goal and lost to Winnipeg, so maybe they'll shake things up again. They really need to figure things out. Also, uh, Varlamov was injured, but I think he's going to be back next week, so don't worry about that. And Pickard is frustrating as always to pick up, and he blows his spot start just like he did today for you if you picked him up. All right, let's go to Chicago. Jonathan Taves has played three games since returning from his back injury. Only one assist in those three games and only 13 points in 24 games on the season. So similar to Landeskog here, a guy who normally you expect at least 60 points from not producing, but it looks like Anisimov got injured yesterday and he's also not going to be playing today. So Taze has moved up to play with Panarin and Patrick Kane on the top line and top power play. And of course, anyone who's there is going to be good. You'd think Jonathan Taves should be even better than Anisimov. So I think there is something good to see there, but it is too bad for Anisimov. Hopefully he's not out too long. I was going to come on today and ask if Brian, maybe we were wrong about him earlier in the season when we called him a 50 point max guy you know we decided hey last year he was on the top line with Patrick Kane and Panarin who both had amazing seasons and he only got like 50 points so why should we expect anything different this year maybe that was like a small sample size that was just one year and Mob had seven points in his last eight games before his injury yesterday he has 27 points in 32 games on the season clearly playing with two point per game guys like Panarin and Kane is a good thing and it's working for him so perhaps his low numbers last year were the fluke and not the fact that now he's getting all of these points. So especially now with him injured, I wonder if it's by low time on Anisimov. And then of course, like I said, I want to get your thoughts on Jonathan Taves getting back. Is he going to be able to bounce back to being at least a 60 point guy? Artem Anisimov last year was not a fluke. Last year was the rule. If anything, this year is the exception to the rule. He still has an insanely high shooting percentage, 25%. He has 14 goals on 55 shots. And his on-ice shooting percentage is quite high. And there are no obvious improvements anywhere else in his numbers over the last year or from the several years before. So I don't know what you mean by asking if last year was the fluke, because it was pretty much exactly what we'd expect given his numbers in the previous six seasons he'd played. I know you're looking at small sample size with Panarin and Kane. Maybe with them, he's magically a much better player. I'm not convinced he is because right now he's still riding shooting percentages quite a bit. I guess. I mean, I don't know magically. I mean, I think it's pretty clear what the trick is. You play with guys who get points every game and you're likely to get a point yourself. Anyway, okay. I I had a feeling you'd say that. I'm not necessarily saying that I disagree, but I do think like we did poo-poo him maybe a little bit too much. Like I'm sure he's owned in every league now and his owners have really enjoyed the fact that they ignored our advice and held on to him. We'll see how long it'll last. Like you say, unsustainable shooting percentages. You don't need to put your hand up because I'm going to cut back to you anyways because I want to hear your thoughts on Jonathan Taves. Well, I'm just glad Richard Panic isn't still doing well at the moment because then you'd be asking me if his previous career years were also flukes. Uh, to Jonathan Taves, only one even strength goal this year, a very low IPP, and steady rate stats elsewhere show that there is some room for improvement. And that improvement can certainly come while playing with Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin. Uh, Kane has been his most common line mate this year, which is different than the past, but his third guy has always been like panic or schmaltz on that line and Taves also not seeing a lot of consistency this year like I mentioned he's been with Marion Hosa attached to the hip for most of the last three seasons and now he's barely spent any time with him at all until actually these recent few games coming back from injury we'll see if that still happens and speaking of Marion Hosa he's done the heavy lifting for himself He hasn't been playing with really anyone for the last little while, but he has six points in his last eight games. Five of those have been goals coming on 21 shots. 
a healthy Anisimov certainly works better for him. A deeper core of centermen obviously has a trickle-down effect on who he gets to play with because his most common sentiment so far this year has actually been Artem Anisimov and then Vinny Hinestroza and Marcus Kruger. And with those sorts of line mates and with, you know, two centermen not still healthy in Chicago, any point from Hosa is a gift at this point. A 55-point pace would be really lovely the rest of the way, but I'm not certain he'll get there. I have more faith in Taves getting there than Hosa. Yeah, well, like I said, definitely if somehow Taves has been dropped in your league because of this disappointing start, like while Anisimov is out, you have to grab Taves because he is better than Anisimov. Obviously, Brian thinks so, and, and I agree. And now he's going to be playing with elite guys and he's, you know, he's an elite guy himself. Maybe not at the level that a lot of people expected him to be, you know, after he was almost a point per game guy for a couple of seasons, but still, obviously, it's Jonathan Taves. It's really good. By the way, if you're listening to this, you should join us sometime for our live show. You go to keepingcarlson.com slash live and join us for these live shows. Right now, we've got someone quoting... TLC songs. You can have that in the chat room if you join in and, and relating it to fantasy hockey. Okay, Brian, next, Outjury. Let's go to Calgary. Let's talk about Christopher Stieg, who seems to be relevant once again now that he's back from his upper body injury. He was on a line with the red-hot Sean Monahan and Troy Brower on Friday. Gojo, by the way, not with Monahan. surprisingly. He was playing with Shason and Bennett. Also, Verstig was on the top power play with Brower and Gojo and Monahan and TJ Brody. And we'll get there. What? Okay, we'll get there. But yeah, he assisted on Monahan's power play goal on Friday. He has seven points in his last seven games played. Again, I'm talking about Chris Versteeg. He's for sure a free agent in your league, and he has seven points in his last seven games played. Brian, is it worth looking at him while he's on the top power play and on a line with Monaghan and or Gojo? It's a super weird line, isn't it? First off, with Monaghan and Gojo being separate, I'm talking about the even strength line. You finish on the power play line. Uh, but that weird line with Monaghan, Versteeg, Brower, Monaghan is the only one taking shots on a consistent basis. Versteeg and Brower look like they're barely contributing to the offense, but they're still at least riding coattails or making things work, it's working out somehow. And that's a reason to perhaps go and get Versteeg if you've got a spot to fill in your lineup. Monaghan, by the way, still scoring his point streak up to nine games, five goals, six assists for 11 points in that span. So playing with him right now is very good. Johnny Goodrow, by the way, also needs to be mentioned. Four consecutive multi-point games to kick off his present six-game point streak. He had five straight games with a power play assist. He also sports a 100% IPP. That means every time a goal has been scored while he's on the ice at even strength, he has been credited with a goal or an assist on it. Yeah, he's awesome. I fear that I accidentally called him Godro again, and people hate that. Someone called me out in the chat room here. It's Godro. I know. I'm sorry. But okay, I wanted to talk about TJ Brodi, and he is back. <laughs> and yeah, like I said, he's been getting a look on that top power play. Not Giordano, not Hamilton, but TJ Brodi. Two power play points a couple of games ago versus Tampa Bay. Still, though, only nine points and 33 games played overall. Likely a free agent in your league. Brian, is he worth a flyer if he's going to be on the top power play with Godro and Monaghan? And I guess before you answer, I might as well ask, like, I assume this isn't good news for Hamilton and Giordano, right? Or like, is it no big deal? Hamilton has 17 points in 33 games played on the season. He's doing really well. Giordano, only 12 points in 33 games. It's still been a big disappointment. So I guess I'm just curious to know, like, is Brody, okay, I'll drop the egg. Is Brody worth adding at this point? And also, like, should people be worried about Giordano? Is another one of these guys who, like you said, there weren't any of them left, but we've come up with a few of them. Giordano, another guy who people expected really a lot of points from, and so far he hasn't been producing. Well, you said that Brody is a free agent in most leagues, and deservedly so. Those two points he's recently gotten, there's only two points over his last nine games. And I just can't imagine he gets too long a look on that power play with Giordano and Hamilton there. You know, while we're talking about Brody, 
fate has been unkind to him this year. A lot of things went his way last year, but the pendulum swung right past expected regression and straight towards things not going his way this year. So beyond regression, he is feeling the hurt. Uh, So you can keep an eye while he's on that power play unit. Cycle him in at low cost if you want, but I'm not ready to seriously consider him as an ad yet in most of my leagues. And then Mark Giordano and Dougie Hamilton. While Hamilton's doing okay, Mark Giordano, his IPP is way down. 15% this year so far versus what we'd expect, uh, which is 45 or 50%. Also a drop in individual expected goals for, which is not a great thing. That means whatever chances he's getting are contextually of less quality. I'm not ready to give up on him though, even though his shot rates are a little bit down from last year. Last year, he was able to get about two and a half shots per game. And the year before it was three, the year before it was three. This year right now, he's just a smidge above two shots per game and struggling with his individual shooting percentage. I think there's room for improvement and I think he can get there. We are not sunsetting on Mark Giordano yet. Plus he's still getting you a lot of blocks. So hopefully if you have him as one of your core players in a league, he's helping you there. Yeah, at least he's doing something. Yeah, I mean, last year, if you also remember, he started really slow and ended up like tearing it up at the end of the season. So you could hope for that again, though we are getting almost to the midway point. So in a couple of weeks, if he's still slow, we might have to revisit this just like Patrice Bergeron. Okay, so we've talked about Versteeg and maybe Brody is interesting Flames players right now. I think, though, Brian, we have to bring up one more. I don't know, but like, do we have to start talking about Chad Johnson? And I guess maybe you should be asking this to me in this voice, because I'm the one who was like, obviously he's going to be good. And you were like, I don't know, he's still Chad Johnson at the end of the day, but he's had two straight games of letting in four goals. So I don't know, like the Flames play Monday and Tuesday of next week. So you've got to think Elliot's going to get in to play at least one of those games. I think he was going to play the next game anyway, since Chad Johnson has been so weak, you know, just, you know, very small, just in two games. He's been amazing so far in the season. Don't take anything away from him, but he's had two bad games. And in that situation, normally the coach is going to bring in the backup goalie anyway. So Brian it's going to get a chance if he comes in if he plays well maybe he gets another start I don't know like what if Chad Johnson plays his next game and has another stinker like is now the time for maybe Brian Elliott to try to regain his job now is the time where he can take the first step towards regaining his job Chad Johnson has given up eight goals on his last 40 shots against two of those were on the power play but it still looks really bad and now yeah the door is open a crack for Elliot, now that maybe he can sneak in, put in a good start or two. And I think the Flames still go back to Johnson. But if Johnson keeps struggling, they have reason to think, well, maybe Brian Elliott can do better. There's not a ton of organizational investment in Brian Elliott. They clearly don't really care about keeping him happy or really giving him every shot he can handle at that number one job with the way they've managed the goalie so far. If you are a Chad Johnson owner, it is time to start looking around your pool and seeing, is there someone you'd like to temporarily or, you know, maybe apparently, like, make it seem like you're downgrading your goalie, but you're actually getting yourself in a safer place long term. Although I also don't think this is the true Chad Johnson. Like, I think he still could be a league average guy, and that's what you could hope for going forward. I don't think he's suddenly going to become a sub 900 guy on a consistent basis. The bigger danger is just that he loses starts and opens up the possibility for Elliott starting more often. Yeah, well, I remember last year in the Cupful, and I probably shouldn't be saying this because Brian Elliott is actually currently a free agent in my Cupful league, and maybe I would have wanted to put a bid on him tomorrow. And I know one of my competitors is here in the chat room, and he needs goalie. So I don't even know if this, if I should be saying this, but I do remember last year that I actually drafted Brian Elliott while he was on St. Louis, and I dropped him at one point because Jake Allen was getting like all the starts, and then you know I really blew it because Brian Elliott 
ended up getting added by someone else as a backup. And then Allen got injured. But even when Allen was back, Brian Elliott was doing so well. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, I dropped like one of the top goalies in the league. So, you know, he's in free agency again in a lot of leagues. So I don't know, something to watch. Obviously, Calgary is a very different team than St. Louis. I don't know if his upside is what it was last year. Okay, let's move away from outjuries now onto the next fantasy hockey headline of the week. I don't know why I keep saying that because this isn't a headline. I'm just going to talk about some players on hot streaks. I got to do it. Let's talk about Ricard Raquel over in Anaheim. First of all, keep in mind that we had made a bet two weeks ago on the show. You're the one who pushed for the bet. I was like, I don't know. And you're like, Elon, come on. So we said over or under a 55-point pace from the time that we made the bet, which was a couple weeks ago. We'll have to check at the very end of the season, you know, exactly when that was. But yeah, so far, so good for me, right? Since then, he's on a six-game point streak. He had two goals and five shots on goal yesterday, which brought him to 21 points in 21 games played. That's right. He's a point-per-game player so far on the season. Still on line one with Getzoff and Perry, which, by the way, I totally called. I'm just going to say, because, you know, some people were like, ah, you know, Anaheim, they shift around their lines. Last year, they had Raquel on that top line for a lot of the year, and they're doing it again this year. So you could forget about that time when he was on line three to start the season. He's sticking on that top line. I think he might be one of the best players on that top line. And, you know, that's exemplified by the fact that the coach decided to bump Corey Perry and move Ricard Raquel to the top power play. So now Ricard Raquel is on the top line and the top power play. They were actually running Getzlaff, Kessler, Raquel, Cam Fowler, and Shea Theodore on the top power play. So there's another guy who was bumped. Not only was Corey Perry, but also Sammy Vatnin was dropped. So, okay. First of all, Brian, I'm not going to ask you to necessarily like go and decide about Ricard Raquel. I I guess I would like to know if you want to take back the bet. I'll give you the option right now. If you want, if you don't want to be embarrassed, you could take it back right now, free of charge. But okay, here are all of my questions on Anaheim for you. Okay. First of all, do you still think you're going to win this Raquel bet. I already said that. Corey Perry off power play one, but he has eight points in his last seven games, though nothing in his last two games since being bumped from the top power play. And you know, when I said he has eight points in his last seven games, four of those points were on the power play. Should maybe Corey Perry owners be concerned? Shea Theodore scored a power play goal yesterday in his second game on the top power play. And we all remember how he did last year when he had that opportunity. So should people scoop him up? And then I guess there's Sammy Vatnin, who has three points in his last four games played, but only 14 in 32 on the season. And now he's off the top power play. So maybe should people be selling high on him? I have just thrown a whole bunch at you when I said I wasn't going to throw so much but basically i want to know your thoughts on raquel perry vatnin and theodore okay let's start with raquel we've never seen him shoot like this before that's why we're seeing this unprecedented surge from him that he's never managed before and i mean that initial phrase that we've never seen him shoot like this before in a couple ways uh the first way he's averaging three shots per game and if he keeps that up he's going to end the year with 70 more shots than he did last season which was a career high for him. Uh, His rate stats, meanwhile, they've actually stayed similar to last year. So this really is a product of him seeing about another 70 seconds of ice per night and getting off an extra shot because of it. So good for him on that front. We've also never seen him shoot with such precision before. And that's a friendly way of saying that he's shooting 23% this year compared to his career 11% before this season. He actually has the second highest even strength shooting percentage amongst all forwards with 300 or more minutes played behind only Paul Byron. It's not a great thing to be in the top 10 in shooting percentage at even strength in the league. The other names in that top 10, Tori Mitchell, Sidney Crosby, Artem Anisimov, Kevin Hayes, Henrik Sedin, Michael Grabner, Devin Shore, Kyle Torres. That's not a who's who of 60 point or even 55 point guys. He leads that same group of forwards who have played more than 300 minutes in on ice shooting percentage. His is like double the league average, and that's even more guaranteed to regress than his own personal shooting percentage. And he's in the top five in IPP. He's getting points on 93% of all goals scored while he's on the ice. And that number has been at a very average 70% for him in the previous two years. So 
I look through all my signposts for if somebody's producing unsustainably and he has ticked every single box. He's been good. He's getting more opportunities, some better line mates, more minutes, but I still don't think he's as good as his set lines are showing. I'm just hoping regression hits quickly enough to assure me some beer and nachos from you before long without having to sweat it any longer. You know, Brian, I don't disagree with you. And sure, you could list a bunch of people who have high shooting percentages as a way to discredit Raquel. But like, he's got a point per game pace right now. He has 21 points in 21 games. So he can miss a couple of those shots. His IPP couldn't go down. He could like lose out on a couple of goals while he's on the ice. That would still leave him at a 60 point pace. And that would still leave me very comfortably in the lead for our bet. So I'm not too worried. But okay, we know your opinion here. Let's move on to Vatanen and Theodore. Oh, and if you have something to say about Corey Perry being bumped to the top power play. No, I have nothing to say about that. He'll be fine. Okay, Probably. defense on Anaheim. We always love talking about defense on Anaheim, right? I love talking defense on Anaheim. So you're not going to say anything about these guys? Oh, okay. I guess that's how much I love talking defense on Anaheim. Uh, Sammy oh. Brown, and you asked if he's a sell high. You know, he's a guy who has just six points in his last 24 games. So I guess if you can sell him for a 45-plus point guy, go for it. I still think he'll end up around 40 points, hopefully, 45, but if you can get somebody who's assured that much, then you might as well go for it. Shea Theodore, uh, another couple weeks for him of likely guaranteed time with the big club, probably till Clayton Stoner comes back. Uh, and there's a new coach, which is interesting because Bruce Boudreaux, we know, use him as a power play specialist. And it looks like Randy Carlisle is willing to use him in that power play role as well. So that's nice for him. He's currently behind last season's pace by a bit, though. Six points in 18 games with one power play point. Versus eight points in 19 games with three power play points last year. I would rather take a flyer on him, though, than I would someone like TJ Brody. So I guess that's some sort of compliment for Shea Theodore. If he's on the top power play, of course he's valuable. I just don't know how long he's going to stay there. So you can grab him and maybe he'll stay on it and then you'll be really smart about it. Yeah, I mean, you bring up Theodore's low point totals this year, but I feel like you can forget about everything from before because now he's on the top power play. So I don't care about what he did before when he was good last year. It was because he was on the top power play in those games and he all of his points were basically power play points. So he's a specialist. And I think, yeah, grab him as a flyer if you have room for him. I also like Brody on the top power play as a flyer. I don't expect either of them to necessarily stay there for very long. Like Batman's really good. And yeah, when I said sell high on Batman, I guess I just meant on his name. Because, you know, if someone were to offer me Semi Vatanen, I would think about it even without looking at his stats. He'd be like, oh, yeah, Semi Vatanen, he's great. But, yeah, definitely not having a great season this year. And Shea Theodore is clearly a contender for his top power play role. Okay, a f- next hot streak I want to talk about, of course, Bobby Ryan is now on a four-game point streak after I called him a snoozer a couple of weeks ago. He scored again today with Mike Hoffman suspended. Ryan found himself on a line with Turris and Dezingle, who's also on a three-game point streak. So some guys in Ottawa who weren't doing anything, all of a sudden doing things. Should people be mad at me for having told them to drop Bobby Ryan? Should they rush to grab him back if he's still available, or is this just a fluke? I don't know if either of those statements I can validate. And nothing has changed for me about Bobby Ryan since last week. I still see him as a 50, 55-point guy. Maybe it'll come in jumps and starts. It's good for him that it's come at least a little bit, though. So I guess if you dropped him, I don't know if he's still worth adding in most leagues, like depending on who the best guys in your free agency are. If he's not worth adding yet, then you should definitely keep an eye on him because I still think he's going to be in a position to score points and I still think he can take advantage of it. It's just a matter of if he can do that better than your lowest rostered player. I agree. 
Bobby Ryan, you know, it's frustrating. I think this is a general fantasy hockey strategy or it's like a cognitive bias we have. Like, I feel like when I drop a player, it's really hard for me to get behind re-adding him. Like, I'm like, I dropped him. I'm done with him. But sometimes, you dro- I feel like one thing you always have to do when you drop a guy, always add him to your watch list. Like, you had him on your roster for a reason. So along with dropping, add him to your watch list. Sometimes he's become still the best option when someone else is slumping. So maybe you need to grab Bobby Ryan back. Maybe I should grab him back. He was actually already grabbed Brian in our joint league where I had dropped him. But, you know, we have a really stacked team. So hopefully it'll be okay. Let's go to Edmonton. No, actually not. Let's not go to Edmonton, but let's go back down memory lane in Edmonton. Because remember, we were wondering about who would end up as the main power play guy between Clefbaum and Sekera and Larson. And then we were like on the podcast, oh, look, it's Clefbaum. Finally, grab Clefbaum. Then as soon as we said that, we were totally wrong. And then it turned out that Sekera is the guy. And by the way, if Sekera is available in your league, you should definitely add him. He had two power plays yesterday. He's just totally rolling. But I don't want to talk about Edmonton. That was just a big tangent because I want to say that I think this is happening again in Toronto, where we were wondering who's going to get the prime power play time and the prime time between like Morgan Riley or Zaitsev but really it looks like right now the front runner is Jake Gardner he is the defenseman you want on Toronto I think he's on a five game point streak he has 15 shots over that span and six in the game before that so if you go back his last six games he's been like 21 shots last six games amazing he has been leading the Leafs in ice time per game lately he's like clearly the main guy they use and like I said he's been on the top power play or at least he's been seeing over 50% of the power play time for the last couple of games you know we've already brought up Jeff Petrie and Schultz and you know Shea Theodore so I think I gotta add Jake Gardner to the conversation if he's available I don't know if he's available in your league he was available in my cupful league and so I added him I was actually surprised when I was looking at defensemen to add with Chris Letang out I assumed I wasn't gonna have anyone good to choose from and then I saw Gardner I was like oh okay I have a top power play defenseman that I could grab where does he rank with some of the other free agent defensemen that we've brought up this episode I'd probably put him behind Jeff Petrie and all the guys we're talking about and maybe ahead of Shea Theodore just because we know he'll be with the big club for the whole season, even if his next couple weeks might not be as fruitful. He's three power play points, though, in his last four games. Elon, you mentioned all the other details. He's on quite a good run. And this is compared, you know, in the shots on goal column, most of the year he's had none, one, or two shots. So this is a nice little improvement bump from him. He's actually averaged a 50% share of Toronto's power play time all year long. And I don't think this recent bump is something to go nuts reading into, but it's worth staying aware of so that you can add a power play one defenseman to your team. If say you had Chris Letang and somebody already added Justin Schultz, who is definitely the top defenseman that we've talked about on the show. And by the way, I don't mean to say that Zaitsev and Riley are chopped liver. Like Zaitsev scored last game and Morgan Riley has still been taking a ton of shots. I'm not saying you should drop them necessarily for Gardner, but it's nice to see a really good value add potentially in free agency and Jake Gardner if he's available in your league. Like he was in mine. Okay, on the other side of the coin, what's going on with James Van Riemsdyk? Just one assist in his last four games played and only four shots on goal in his last three games. He had seven in the game before that, but he hasn't been taking many shots lately. But of course, I'm just talking about the last three four games anything to be worried about with jvr and while i'm bringing up something leafs at least fantasy wise nazim kadri only one assist in his last eight games i knew i was right to drop him early on it was obvious oh man you and kadri that'll just never mesh you should just stay far away from kadri even though i know in future years you're definitely going to draft him because you can't help yourself and you'll go through the same roller coaster as usual uh, kadri no goals over the last eight games but he's taken 31 shots in that time. So his shooting percentage would usually dictate three goals over that span. I'm not worried. This seems to be how things go for Nazem Kadri. I would advise you to hang on. At least he's getting you shots. JVR, his shot counts are a little concerning, but it hasn't been long enough for me to start thinking about some kind of action that needs to be taken. He's been good enough for you for most of the year that you can forgive a short little slump. 
But if this continues over the next week or two, we'll definitely be talking about it and what you need to do about it. For now, nothing. Okay, that's fair. In that case, let's go to Long Island. There's a player on a hot streak there, Anders Lee. He had seven goals and two assists in his last 12 games before today, and he scored today. So clearly this guy is on a roll, and it makes sense why. He's recently been promoted to line one with Tavares and Josh Bailey. So is Anders Lee worth a flyer if he's available in your league? I feel like for sure, yes, right? I'm curious, Brian, who would you take between him and Josh Bailey if both were available? Like Bailey has a solid 17 points in 30 games this year. He assisted on Anders Lee's goal today. So like Bailey's just a really solid guy. Lee, you know, maybe won't stay on that line, but he's on such a hot streak. I like kind of like both of them right now. I'm curious to know what you think about them. In Hits League, I have a preference for Anders Lee, but otherwise Josh Bailey is my choice since he seems to be the bigger fixer on line one. I'd be nervous about liking any New York Islander too much this year. There aren't a lot of guys with fantasy value there. John Tavares, Nick Letty, you can barely choose a goalie and then you're pretty much done. Like, Bailey has been playing on that top line with Tavares all season long, and he's still barely managing half a point per game. Yeah, that's fair. But hey, Anders, you call him Anders, by the way. You know, Anders from Workaholics would be really mad at you if you mispronounced his name like that. But okay, he's on a hot streak now. I think you should grab him, like you said, especially for League Counts hits. Why not? Dave in the chat room, very excited. He wrote earlier that he grabbed Lee in the cupful before it was cool. So I guess before he was even online one. So good for you, Dave. I am pissed at you. I'm getting killed this week in the couple. I'm very nervous about my standing right now. Another team on a hot streak, or I guess I was talking about players on a hot streak. We got to go to a team, Minnesota, on a seven-game win streak. Obviously, Devin Dubnik has been amazing. And actually, Kemper even came in yesterday and had a really good game, though it was against Arizona. So probably not the hardest game for him. The top scorers on the wild over these seven games, Eric Stahl with eight points, five goals and three assists. Charlie Coyle, two goals and five assists for seven points. Granlin, two goals and four assists for six points. Again, we're talking about over seven games. Nino Niederreiter, a goal and five assists for six points in the last seven games, including 18 hits. So in a hits league, we're talking about hits leagues. Brian, by the way, uh, Lee or Niederreiter, that would be an interesting question for you. And then Miku Koivu also has kept it going. Two goals and three assists in his last seven games. A lot of interesting guys over in Minnesota. Some of them might be free agents in your league, like a Nino Niederreiter or Mikhail Granlin. Eric Stahl, we already told you guys earlier in the year that we were happy about him. We thought he'd be good. At one point, Brian, I think you brought him up and said, oh, I don't know, he's slowing down a little bit, but no, nothing to worry about. He's been fantastic lately. So do you have any general thoughts you want to share on any of these Minnesota players that are on hot streaks right now? No, I don't. I would just say that they're all equal. Like, if you ask me to rank them, always and forever, all Minnesota Wilds are equal. Force me to pick, and I'll go with Eric Stahl and Miko Koivu slightly ahead of the pack, and maybe Mikhail Granlund will be the next one I choose. And, of course, Parisi above them all, and then everybody else is equal. Uh, but good for them. Good for them. Bruce Boudreaux, coaching well, getting them points. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Devin Dubnik deserves some credit. But yeah, Boudreaux is obviously a really good coach. And Brian Parisi, by the way, isn't on that list of players on hot streaks. He only, I think, has like four points in his last seven games. You know, so not nothing. But it's he's not the guy that's getting the points. So maybe that doesn't mean he's not helping the team win these games. And maybe he's been on the ice for these points. And who knows? You know, pretty small sample size. Zach Parisi is pretty good. Trade Coyle or Niederreiter for Zach Parisi? <laughs> obviously. Obviously. I'm just saying. Okay, next, let's go to San Jose. This will be really quick. Timo Meyer called up by the Sharks. Had one goal in his first game on the team, though only 10 minutes of ice time. A lot of people on our patron-only Facebook group seemed very excited about him. They were like, oh, Timo Meyer's coming, Timo Meyer's coming. Right, who is this guy? Is he worth a look for people? Like, you know, I brought up Frank Vitrano earlier as someone who maybe people want to look at, you know, as just some guy that's been called up and doing okay. Or I guess we also talked about Seth Griffith. I feel like maybe all of these guys are in the same conversation. Like, is Timo Meyer worth a mention or worth a watch list? Timo Meyer, Swiss native, ninth overall draft pick for the Sharks in 2015. In his first pro season with the San Jose Barracuda right now, he's the team's leader in point scoring with nine goals, six assists. 
for 15 points in 17 games over at Dauber Prospects. They say that Timo Meyer is a mixer of speed, size, skill, and tenacity. He plays a heavy game with second-line skill upside, and that's good news for the Sharks. They could use a guy like him. We know there are holes in their top six, although I don't know if they're ready to give him the opportunity to plug one of them while he's up there worth watching. So yeah, Brian, you know my policy. A guy like Timo Meyer, you know, not in the top six, not getting a lot of ice time. I'm not going to grab someone like that. But obviously, if you're in a very deep league that has like a dynasty league with prospects, it's a whole other story. Who knows? Okay, didn't take long for Hendrik Lundqvist to earn his job back. Speaking of guys on hot streaks, he shut out Dallas, though he didn't get credited with the shutout because he missed a minute because of Cody Eakin, who like knocked him in the head and he now has a suspension. Like Ridiculous. But anyways, okay. Then he had a 2-1 win versus Nashville. Yesterday, making 31 saves. He's in the net again today to the chagrin of Ranta owners or people who picked him up for the spot start. He's led in only one goal in two periods. So definitely Henrik Lundqvist is back and maybe he's the type of guy who you should now. Let's remember that when he faces some adversity, he's going to bounce back really well. Obviously, he's been in the league forever. He's going to be able to handle these kinds of things. So yeah, I still think Ranta is a decent like goalie to have if you know as like your number three goalie in fantasy, just because you know he's shown that he can be really good when he does play. And I still think it would be smart of the Rangers to not push Lungfist too hard, like let him rest so that he doesn't fall into this cold streak again. But everything we said last week about Ranta and Lungfist, I said, you know, grab Ranta because why not just in case, you know, something that happened with Chad Johnson could happen here. But clearly that's not happening. Hopefully you didn't drop anyone too crazy for Ranta. I, I didn't tell you to do that. Brian, any comments on that or do you want me to move on to my next hot streak guy? Well, I think Lungfist owners are wondering how safe can we feel? He did earn his job back. Obviously, he's the better goalie. There's 50 games left in the season for the Rangers. Hank would need to start 40 of those to get his usual 60-plus starts. I'm going to figure he gets about 35, and then maybe Antiranta will be good when he does play, so keep an eye on him for a spot start. But Lungfist definitely the number one goalie. That's a ridiculous. I can't even believe we're having this conversation. Obviously, the number one goalie in New York. Maybe he does not see 60 plus starts for the rest of the year. Keep that in mind if you're an owner of his and you need like games started or a lot of saves. You might need to find a supplementary source some weeks off the waiver wire. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about it because he was sat for three straight games. So I, I think four straight games. Like it was something unprecedented. And, and don't make these jokes in the chat room that you were making earlier about that word. But yeah, it was something that we had never seen before in his career. And so we had to bring it up. But yeah, it seems like it's over. That's good. Okay, at Ablazenko on Twitter asked us to talk about some peripheral guys. He's like, why don't you talk about guys who get hits and blocks and, and penalty minutes and whatever. So here you go. Here's our peripherals all-star of the week. Who has the most hits in the last two weeks, you might ask? It's a guy who's played like two less games than everyone else because he was suspended for two games. But still, the guy who I started the show with, Mark Borovieski, he's got 31 hits in his last four games played. And like I said, that's like two or three less games than most people in the last couple of weeks. He was suspended for a couple of games. This guy like gets so many hits. Like actually, Ottawa's playing right now. Why don't we take a look and see how many hits Borovieski has today? I'm a, a five. Five hits. The game's not even over. It's insane. Like if you're in a league that counts hits, I feel like you need to add him. And, you know, the one thing about him last year, he was getting a lot of hits last year, but he was a concerning guy to add because he was sometimes healthy scratched, which makes sense because he doesn't do anything else but hit. Like, he doesn't take any shots. I, I don't know how good he is defensively. I assume he's there to be a bruiser. I'm assuming he's good at penalty minutes. I never even look at penalty minutes just because I'm just not in a league. I'm not in any leagues that counted. And it seems like kind of a silly stat to me to, like, want people to get penalties and put your team shorthanded. But anyway... I'm throwing it out there. Mark Borowiecki, I guess if you're in a league that counts hits or, you know, a bangers in match league, maybe he's already owned. But if not, like, take a look. This guy hits so much every game. That's all he's good for. Hits are his livelihood. That's how he remains in the NHL. Keeps drawing that paycheck. Interestingly, I was going to be like, but the drawback is, but he somehow managed to be only a minus two 
on the year so far and is a plus seven on his career despite getting routinely destroyed in shot attempt battles. I guess if you're good in every other scoring category in a hits league and you have a roster spot that you can afford to use to put you over in a single category pretty much every week, he could be a one-man wrecking crew for you there and you can ditch all your other hits guys if they're not great scorers. Here you are, Mark Borowiecki. Yeah, and also it's nice because he's a defenseman, right? So you're not dropping a forward. Like, you're not using a forward spot, which is generally you could get someone who scores a lot of points. For you, know, you drop your bottom defenseman. Like, how many points are you really getting from him? You know, give up a point or two a week and get 20 hits. So, you know, it's someone to look at. Anyway, okay, Brian, obviously you're not big on him. You don't like leagues that count hits. We don't even count hits in the couple because we don't even think it's really a stat that represents something that's helping a team. So we don't want it to help your fantasy team. But of course, then you can say, why do you count blocks? Does that, you know, that also doesn't help your team. But yeah, you know, we have to have something to give defensemen some value so you'll draft them and not save them to the end anyways let's go and finish the show with some cold streaks brian you said you wanted to be done by 9 30 it's 9 20 and i only have two guys left so this is perfect just what you wanted let's start in st louis alex steen came back red hot from his injury but now only has two assists in his last six games we've gotten a lot of questions about him recently if he should be dropped or traded or whatever he also only has six shots on goal in that span six shots in his last six games this is a guy who's usually on an over 200 shot on goal pace for the season which is like over three shots a game so why does he only have one shot per game in his last six like what is going on with alex steen i mean i think i know part of the answer probably doesn't help that he's on line three recently with Patrick Berglund and David Perron. And he's also been off the top power play. This is normally a guy who's used on the most offensive lines. Like he was playing with Tarasenko last year and earlier this year. So this is a bummer. But of course, we've been talking about St. Louis shuffling their lines all year long. But should Alex Steen owners be worried? Alex Steen is this week's victim of St. Louis line shuffles. And I think we're going to have a St. Louis blue in the hot and cold streaks every week from now till the end of the year, because someone is going to be playing above or below where they've been playing before, and that is going to affect their production. So if you're a Steen owner, you can on one hand wait for Laterra, Fabry, or Yakubov to turnstile out of the top six and open a spot for Steen, except you also need to be mindful of a decline he's feeling that is way larger than the age-related decline we'd expect from him as a sort of banged-up 32, soon-to-be 33-year-old. He's not playing as well this year, as he has in the past. His rate stats are way down. His shot and shot attempt numbers are literally half of what they were two years ago. And if he doesn't start putting up shots on goal and or points when he does return to the top six, because he will, at least I think he will, then it's time to get concerned. Keep in mind the Blues did just sign him to a needlessly lengthy and needlessly Mm -hmm. expensive four-year extension before this year even began. He's going to make almost $6 million for the next four years. I imagine they're regretting it, but at the same time, I expect they want to try and get that value out of him and suspect they know it's not going to happen from the third line. Yeah, so hopefully he'll get the opportunity to produce again, and like I hope he will, but... Yeah, it's frustrating. But, you know, I feel like, you know, I got an offer. One of the my players that are hurting me in the couples, Alex Steen. And, you know, I got a buy low offer, obviously, from Dave wanting to trade me like Wenberg for him. And maybe, you know, at the end of the year, I'll like regret it and be like, oh, I should have done that. But for now, I'm holding on, hoping for him to give me that 60 point pace I thought, that I thought was assured to me. I thought like, OK, I'll have to weather some injuries but while he's playing. He'll be good. Not happening so far. Very frustrating. Okay, last guy I have for you, Brian. I guess we got a couple in this run here on Dallas, but I want to talk about Patrick Eves, who only has one goal in his last seven games played. He was moved off line one for a bit. Spezza was actually playing with Ben and Sagan, but it looks like he was back on line one yesterday and also still on the top power play. So I was originally going to call Patrick Eves a snoozer because he's the type of guy that while he's hot, he's really hot. But then when he's cold, you could just drop him, especially because usually when he's cold, it's because he's off the top line and top power play. But here it's like, I guess he's not a total snoozer because he's still in that great situation where he's back 
on that great situation. So maybe he could get points again. Brian, if people had him all this time, should they hold on since he's back on the top line and top power play? And actually, he's been on the top power play the whole time, but back on the top line? Or, like, I just curious to know, what do you do about Patrick Eves if he's, like, on your team or if he's available in free agency? Well, Eves could break out any time that he's playing on the top line at even strength or on the power play, but he's near worthless while you wait. So the decision to hang on to him depends largely on the type of league you're a part of. If 45-point forwards are really hard to come by, then you might want to hang on to him as long as there's a glimmer of hope. Otherwise, I think you can let him go. Okay, and since we're on Dallas, patron Peter has been so concerned. So, Peter, this is for you. He's been you know, very sad on the Facebook group because he feels like he made a big mistake trading Radulov and Wenberg to get Jamie Ben. And he was saying how maybe Ben's not as good and he had this offseason surgery and maybe that's affected his game. And, you know, there's some merit to what Peter is saying. I feel like a lot of the patrons were kind of like, oh, what are you talking about? He's Jamie Ben. He's amazing. He'll be fine. But OK, he has 28 points in 33 games played so far, which sounds really good. That's a 70 point pace. But that's 70 points is very far from his 89 and 87 points that he had a couple of seasons ago. Like most players, when they're almost 20 points below their pace from recently, we'd say, oh, my God, they're on a huge slump. But because, you know, he had such a high ceiling, now we're seeing it as still good. But it is some reason to be concerned, right? So, or at least is it? That's what I'm asking you, Brian. So for Peter, answer, should he be concerned about Jamie Ben? Is he maybe now more of a 70-point player as opposed to an almost 90-point player? And should maybe Peter try to sell high, as he's been suggesting that he might want to do? You know, I was wondering if Peter was being overzealous at first about wanting to get rid of Jamie Ben. It's no secret that he's been struggling, but the question was, well, is this just a temporary thing or can he recover? With his rate stats as they are, Ben's shooting and shot attempt volume are in decline for the third straight year. Now, that sounds scarier than it really is because the 27-year-old has set a career best in points or point pace in almost each of his seven years in the league. So even while the shooting and shot attempt rates might have declined a little bit, he was still able to keep producing more points. Uh, This could be the year that that stops happening, though. It's really hard to know what the cause of his struggles are, what the root is. I mean, I can see that his even strength shooting percentage and his on ice shooting percentage are suffering, but his IPP is inflated to offset that somewhat, and those shot rates that he's putting up this year are still somewhat unsettling on the whole, and those shot rates are what you're watching. Shooting percentage aside, he's not going to get another 35 or 40 goals when he's taking 80 or 90 fewer shots on goal over the course of a season. I don't know if this trouble he's having putting pucks on net is a residual effect of injury or a shortened offseason because of an injury or a Stars team that just hasn't looked so good or even has not really appeared deep enough to field a top six for most of the year. But something has definitely been up so far. It might not be a bad idea to shop him around and see what you can get back. If you can get back someone like Tarasenko, somebody who's guaranteed to get more than 80 points, it might be time to really think hard about that. Okay, Brian, that's all the players I have. I see you have some players here on the dock, but it is 9.30, so you're called. Do you have anyone you want to talk about before we end the show? All right, I do. I have a handful of players to close off the show. Derek Ryan in Carolina, he's still rolling. Last week, we talked about how his 29 years old, undrafted, has been all over the place in his hockey career. And now, in the NHL, he's up to three goals, seven assists, ten points in his last nine games, still playing with Victor Rask and Jeff Skinner. He's not taking a lot of shots, but I do think he's an okay cycle option. Elon, you asked about Patrick Eves. Right now, I might prefer Derek Ryan in the short term. Evgeny Kuznetsov would make an even better cycle option. He just saw a six-game point streak come to an end. 
He had all assists in those six games, three special teams points, helped, of course, to be playing with Alexander Ovechkin during that stretch. Ovechkin himself, by the way, rolling again. He snapped a seven-game goalless streak earlier this week. But going back to Kuznetsov, still only 15 shots in his last seven games and currently 11 games without a goal. He has not scored since November 23rd, but it is better to see him with more twos and threes in the shots on goal column as opposed to so many ones before. As to why he's playing better, nobody knows because he is not telling. Should I keep going, Elon? Was that a joke at the end? Well, there was a tweet where a reporter, I think it was Isabel Kurdishan, I'm definitely mispronouncing her name, asked him like what the difference is, what he's figured out, why he was scoring points all of a sudden, and he said he wasn't going to tell anybody. Oh, okay. All right, keep going. I'm fine. I have no plans. All right, Pecorine. We mentioned him last week that he was struggling. He's still struggling, now up to a run of six straight sub-900 starts. He's given up three or more goals against in seven consecutive outings. Two of those last six sub-900 starts have actually been sub-800 starts. So he's been really lucky to pick up the win in two games recently because he isn't playing well enough to win. Someone in Nashville who is playing well enough to win, UC Saros, gave up just a single goal in a shootout loss against the Rangers yesterday. He's actually given up a single goal against in three of his four games played this season, but still has just one win to his credit, getting no run support from the team in front of him, the poor guy. He is sporting a 1.49 goals against average and a 946 save percentage I wonder how much longer Rene can struggle before Saros starts getting another look and another look and another look. We know Rene's right for the picking, even though he had an amazing start to this year. I expect he'll rebound to hopefully league average. Maybe he'll even out there. But if he doesn't soon, there is maybe a little crack opening the door for UC Saros to walk through and pick up another start or two. Yeah, I just kind of feel like it's so obvious that UC Saros is better than Pecorine. Like, am I the only one that thinks that? Why doesn't Nashville just do it? I guess these teams, they have to stick with their goalie that's been there for so long and it's been good. Like, clearly, UC Saros, every game he plays, he does fantastically. Every game Rene plays lately, he sucks. Like, why not just play Saros every game? I, I don't get it. It is an interesting thought to see if they just ride with UC Saros and see what happens. Another goalie who nobody gets, Antti Niemi. This is the last one. He sat for five straight. Lettinen was really bad for several of them, I think. Maybe you can check those numbers for me, Elon. I don't have them in front of me. But Niemi has now allowed just four goals against over his last three starts. I don't know how often that's ever happened in Dallas over the last two years. He's stopped 93 of the last 97 shots he's faced. Has a 944, 966, 969 in his last three games. I guess you can try to get him while he's hot, except it probably won't last long. It never does with Antti Niemi or Kerry Lettinen, but I guess, uh, yeah, there it is. Because Lettinen seems to be the guy that they've turned to more often, or at least more consistently, and this is one of the best stretches of Dallas goaltending we've seen this season. So good for Antti Niemi. I don't know what it means for your pool, though. There's a lot to think about anytime you think of adding a Dallas goalie to your roster. Well, Brian, as the numbers guy here on the podcast, let me tell you something that you may not know about Antti Niemi. These last three games where you said he was so good, do you see anything in common with those games? Um, No. Anyone in the chat room, do you see anything in common with Niemi's last three games? They happened on the odd calendar date, 13, 15, 17. <laughs> okay, no one in the chat room saying anything, maybe because we have a delay. But Brian, it's so obvious the last three games were home games. 
and Niemi won all three of those games. And if you look at the splits, it's insane. Niemi is having an amazing season at home. He has a 943 save percentage this year at home in 11 games. In his six away games, he has an 856 save percentage. So I don't know. You're the numbers guy, actually. I was joking before. Is that like... Is that just a lucky thing? Like, are there some goalies who are better at home and worse away from home? Like, is that a thing or is it just luck? Because it seems to me like you always want to play Niemi when he has a home game. It seems to help. You're generally giving up fewer penalty kills or allowing fewer power play opportunities is probably a better way to phrase it. When you're at home because of home ice advantage. Last year at home, he was a sterling 9-12 compared to 900 on the road. So he certainly wasn't this good. But it is generally better to play at home than away. And we talked about, actually, Elon, the Predators' struggles on the road recently. And Rene's two most recent clunkers both came at home, which certainly doesn't bode well. One of them, he gave up three goals on 17 shots. Blah. We're not even talking about him. Get over it, okay? Rene sucks. You drafted him in the couple, and it was a big mistake. But okay, we're talking about Niemi, who you do have in the couple. And I would say, Brian, for now... At least until I see otherwise, start him when he's at home. Maybe sit him when he's away. That's all we've got this week. Another fun episode. Thanks to everyone in the chat room for joining us live. You've really helped give us a lot of content for this show, which is always fantastic. If you want to join us live, you can every week. Keepingcarlson.com slash live. We regularly record on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern time, but we do actually have a special schedule coming up over the holidays. Next week, we're going to be recording on Monday night at 8 p.m. instead of Sunday because Sunday is, I guess, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I don't know. Whatever. People are busy and Brian and I are busy as well. So we'll be doing Monday night. And then we actually have a patron cast coming a week from Wednesday. So let me actually tell you what that is. If you want to help support the show, one way you could do it is to become a patron of Keeping Carlson for only $5 a month. You get access to our patron-only Facebook group, which we've referenced all throughout the show. Lots of interesting discussions happening on there all the time. And if you have a question about your fantasy hockey team, you just ask it on the patron group. And then Brian answers, I answer, a bunch of genius patrons answer. It's fantastic. And also we do a monthly patron cast where you guys, the patrons, decide what the content will be for the show. The patrons ask questions and Brian and I just sit there and answer every single question until we are done. And that's going to be happening a week from Wednesday. So it's not too late to become a patron of of keeping Carlson and enjoy that. If you don't want to give us $5 a month, that's okay. You can still help us out by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. We love when you do that. And we love reading the nice reviews. If you don't like the show that much, you know, you don't have to give us a review at all, but those five-star review on iTunes really help raise our stock. And also you can just follow us on Twitter. That's probably good too, but okay. Enough of that. Enough of all of that. Let's cue that outro music. Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Oli W, David G, Mac, and somebody who has the first name that starts with an N who requested that we don't share their name, except somebody else has the same name who just signed up. Anyway, uh, so thanks to you both. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Dauber Prospects, Frozen Pool, Corsica Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and fan tracks. Great job as always, Brian. And we look forward to doing this all again next Monday. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun. <laughs>